0: Welcome to the OA Light a Candle meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, John Kay. Hi, I'm John, compulsive eater. I had totally forgotten I was going to speak until the, until Lisa Ann called uh, to remind me, which is actually the good thing because then I don't I get out of the way and, and and things go a lot better. This this is a special meeting for me, and and I think some of the people here know I. I um, I was this, either the secretary or the speaker getter for over two years here, and it was a big part of my life. And especially doing what Gavin just did, and putting up the recorders and getting the, these these online, you know, for two years. And and um, and I really enjoy this meeting a lot. And uh, I just I promised my wife after two years of Saturday nights, I would uh, <laughs> allow her to have a real Saturday night for a while. So. I remember when uh, Lisa and I were talking before the meeting about how much we really appreciated this meeting and we appreciate the format of this meeting and how it's just its sort of a different kind of meeting. We don't have any meetings exactly like this in, in LA other than this one for the amount of time you speak in is Lee least Sam was saying something like well you know it's, it's, not everybody can speak for 45 minutes and I go well you know I'm not in that category I, <laughs> I, um, I lead retreats and speak for an entire weekend and I still drive away going oh I know what I should have said <laughs> so it's like that's not a problem for me it's shutting up is more of the problem but I remember, you know, I've been, let me just qualify, I've been in program for over 29 years, I've got about 15 years of abstinence currently, Uh, I'm down about 100 to 105 pounds from my top weight, Uh, I'm 29 years sober in another program, and, um, for the great majority of the time, even though there's a gap between how long, how long I've been here and how long I've been abstinent, I've maintained a reasonably normal weight, which I guarantee would not have happened if I hadn't found this program. Because I was destined to be the geeky guy who sat alone, you know, on the Internet all day and not doing anything. And uh, this is before the Internet. I, I mean, this the Internet was made for my isolating abilities. And um, I remember... Um, I, I got absent in Connecticut. I came from Connecticut and, and, and I moved out here about 15 years ago. And I uh, I remember going, first time I went to the kitchen sink meeting, And at the end of the kitchen sink meeting, they sort of do, okay, how, how many people here have over a year? How many people over five years? How many over 10 years? And then 20. And, then, and I'm like, I'm just looking at this going, this is science fiction. <laughs> you know, because, you know, in Connecticut, you had a year, you were an old timer, you know. and um, And it isn't that there isn't, Plenty of recovery around the country. It's just it is so concentrated here, and I I I spent my first couple of years here just amazed and listening to speakers like Carol and, and Jack and and a, and a lot of other people, some of them in this room, and um, thinking, wow, this is. I, and, and I thought of the years I spent in Oa back east, and. I wasn't just in OA in Connecticut. I was I, a lot of you know. I used to be a stand-up comic, and I would be all over the country. And on my days off, or my during the day, because comics only work, you know, forty-five minutes a day. Um, uh, I would go to try and go to meetings, and, and, and you know, even though OA in Connecticut was not what it is here, it was better than it was in an awful lot of places. And and what I saw that the ability to to bring what we have here around it's like we got to do this and and you know I, if, if you think about it I've, I've, like I've said this to mickey this meeting is actually probably the largest meeting in the world if you count how many people actually listen to it every week you know the last time i i, I haven't been i used to be the webmaster and I, I gave it up but um i think when i i quit the last statistics i saw were like thirty one thousand downloads a month you know from this meeting's podcast and it's it's a it's, it's something I'm really it's, I'm, so I'm proud of, you know, that uh, I was able to, to do that. Um, and um, I think it's also why the, you know, we, we talked about the birthday party, why, the, you know, we, we had as many people at the birthday party last year just about as the World Service Convention had because, you know, you know it's just sort of uh, a great recovery. And if any of you are new and you haven't thought about it, uh, think about going to the birthday party because it's a great jump start to progress. Anyway, enough about all this. <laughs> um, I'm not going to give too much of a food log tonight cuz I figure you guys probably know how to eat and know how to, you know, go to different 7-11s so the guys don't know, you know, you, you know you're go eating the same thing, you know doing it every night or you you know how to tell guys uh uh call different delivery places for you know different pizza huts so that you, they don't know you're doing this the same thing over and over and, and eating frozen cakes before they're defrosted and all those fun things. Uh I'm not going to bother with all that because I I figure you know, I, I when I look back now, you know, even though like when I came in, I thought it was so terminally unique and special. My, my I got a normal food story, nothing really spectacular. Um, but how I was raised is sort of important. I was raised by two different alcoholics, and uh, I went back and forth. You know, I joke between the frying pan and the fire for my a lot of my childhood, and you know while. Parents will never say, "Hey, you should drink" or "You should do drugs." They, some of the things they they, they inadvertently do, the kids pick up on. Like to hear a parent go, I'm, be upset and go, I need a you know a fill in the blank. I need a drink. I need a, a pill. I need a cigarette." It gives kids the idea. Wow, if I don't like how I'm feeling in here, there's something out there I can put in here that will make it better. And for me. That was food at a very early age. Um, I had one of these mothers who did what in AA they call geographic cures, meaning she moved. we moved a lot around. Uh, you know. And uh, I remember um, I was a joke about... Uh, in fact, it was in this very room for another program for children alcoholics where somebody goes up speaking going, well, I moved like six times by the time I got in the sixth grade. And I, and I remember leaning to whoever I was next to going, I moved six times in the sixth grade. <laughs> and that was a that was God's honest truth. And so there was only one constant. there was only one thing that was there all the time for me, and that was food and it comforted me and it was there, and it was constant and it did it did a, it did something it it accomplished its purpose, it kept me alive long enough to find a program um, because it was really gnarly there uh, for a while and on the other hand, you know what it did for me of the plus side the minus side was of course, I was miserable about being the fat kid you know uh, the guy who became the, uh, who didn't become, he was the first man in OA named AG. He used to pitch, um, you know, there's no hell on earth like being a fat kid. You know, I've been a fat adult. I've been a fat kid. You get little snippy remarks under your breath as a fat adult, but kids are just bam between the eyes and it was brutal. And I was also what they call a gifted child. So I was, you know, I think as you get to be an adult, everything evens out, but when you're a kid, and also when you're a kid who feels so shitty about how he looks, I would go out of my way to make sure everybody in this room knew just how smart I was, either using words or correcting people's English or whatever, and being sarcastic about people's mental abilities and all that kind of thing. And part of it was I felt like such a piece of shit. I felt like such a less than that I had to grasp on any little thread of what I would consider self esteem. I know now it was ego, it wasn't self esteem, because if I had good self esteem, I wouldn't have needed to do those things. But the, the, the upshot of that whole thing is is when you're, you're that, you're a fat kid and a smart kid, and you are just as ostracized as you can get. And then I also, in high school, I I, I, went, I, I went to high school in a place called Greenwich, Connecticut, which is sort of like Beverly Hills, <laughs> except my father's a car salesman, and we're living in a, literally a one-room apartment. And so all these kids, you know, this is before they had Lexuses, but if they did, they were all, I'm sure they all, the parking lot's full of Lexuses now, and I'm, you know, I'm, I couldn't even afford a bicycle, I would walk to school, and uh, so any, any possible idea that I'm like everybody else was out the window at a very early age, I'm different, I'm totally different, and um there's, there's humanity, and there's John, <laughs> you know, and that's the way I honestly felt about it, and um, so I'm going to fast forward, I, you know, I always used to say, when I first started speaking, it, it, it's funny, I, I used to always say, well, I, I tried every diet and they didn't work. And, and the reality is that's not true. I tried every diet and they worked perfectly once, <laughs> because I would come in and go, "Okay, tell me what to do," and uh, they would tell me what to do. I would do it, and I'm a great student. You give me a syllabus, bam, I'm going to have it down. I did it. But then the second time around, now my brain's getting involved, and I want to dicker with it, and I want to, well, I'm going to do this and that, and of course then it would all fall apart. And so all the way through high school, I was overweight and I was the part of the geeky, you know, geek c- crew. You know, this is before they had computers. We were, we were AV kids and, and TV kids and things like that. And, um, and, and again, you know, it's amazing how the kids who, who don't like themselves and are ostracized by everybody else somehow very often manage to find each other and sort of rebel. And that's the other thing is that I, I mean, I was a really smart kid. And I knew I was different than everybody else. I really, you know, when I drilled down on it later in life, realized I really felt less than everybody else. I not only gave up trying to be hip slick and cool, I went in the other direction. You know, this is like, you know, late 60s, early 70s. Everybody's got hair down on their ass and wearing jeans. And uh, they're rebelling because everybody's wearing jeans. So they're really rebelling. Everybody's wearing the same thing. Um, But I would come to, to, to school with a jacket and tie on. Because I'm going to rebel against the rebels, you know, and I'm going to. And what it was really about was, when I look back now, I knew I couldn't, I couldn't compare to. So if I tell myself I'm doing it myself, I'll somehow feel better about it, And and that's what I did. I also didn't drink. I drank once at like 14, but this was a party school in high school I was at, and I didn't drink because the one thing about being a smart kid is you read a lot, and you read, gee, children of alcoholics tend to end up with a problem themselves. So I said, well, that's it. I'm not going to go near that. I'm not going to touch that. Except I had no ability to talk to the opposite sex at a time when hormones are raging and there's nothing I would have wanted more than to talk to the opposite sex. Finally, I got invited out by this girl I liked to go out on a, 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 you know, at the this was like the end of uh, high school, go out uh, to a club and we and I went out and I'm nervous and I'm like I don't know if you guys remember Cheers, but Cliff Clavin couldn't talk to the opposite sex. He was like hysterical blindness even. Uh, Well, that was pretty much me. I was I was and but there was this magic liquid (laughs) that if I drank it, I became James Bond, (laughs) you know, you know, or in my head, you know, I could all of a sudden feel better about myself and and all that. And, and of course, it was a total illusion, but it worked for a little while. Anyway, I fell in love with alcohol. This is not AA, and we'll talk about that, other than to say I went from zero to 60 with the alcohol. And for the first time in my life, I was able to lose weight because I essentially changed my method of sugar delivery. You know, I went to the liquid form. And the other thing I did is I didn't... Uh, somehow I knew at a very early age that I couldn't temper my food so I would just not eat I would not eat for like a week at a time <laughs> you know I would literally starve myself and and I would go run until I passed out along the side of the road because that's all I knew how to do and, and I was able to lose weight and I got down to a reasonably normal weight for about 10 seconds you know I had a girlfriend for a really short time and then uh, I dumped her for uh, John Barleycorn. Uh, <laughs> you know because that became more important And then I was off to the races, and then I was eating and drinking. I I always joked, I said, I I started out fat, and then I was a drunk, and then I was a fat drunk. Uh, And uh, my highest weight was when I first came into the program because I was eating and drinking. And, you know, if you're drinking, your body has to process the alcohol before it can even deal with food. And uh, you don't want to be around a, a drunk compulsive eater, by the way, we, we, we get these brilliant ideas at, like, two in the morning of what we're going to cook, and, and, you know, I don't even remember what half of the stuff was, but I get up in the morning and look in the kitchen and go, oh, my God, I didn't eat that, did I? You know, something really disgusting and something else really disgusting, I figured maybe if you put them together, it's like fraction multiplication that would cancel out. But, no, it would just be really, really disgusting, but I'm not throwing any food out, damn it. Um, but anyway, to make a long story short, I, I went zero to 60 with that. I gained all my weight back. I ended up coming to AA. I didn't stay sober my first first time around, but it was also the first time I I got introduced to the steps, and I, I got uh, some idea of the talk of a higher power. I, I was raised a Catholic, and I was, I was vehemently, by the time I came in, I was vehemently atheist, and I wanted nothing to do with this, and I wanted... And I remember saying to the guy who became my first sponsor in the other program, I... I don't have, you guys are a bunch of religious nuts. In fact, they had this exact kind of steps and traditions, except it was like a, a, a window shade thing. And and the guy the said, uh, you know, this isn't really a religious program, it's a spiritual program. Well, no, it's, it's religious. Look, right there, it says God, it says God, capital him, you know. Uh, and, and he said the most brilliant thing for me he could have ever possibly said. He said, okay, leave it out. And, and it was like one of those things where it was just too blazingly simple, and it like locked, locked up my brain. And what do you mean, leave it out? He says, right now your disease is looking for any reason it can think of to get out that door. What could be better than to think of a group of religious nuts are going to grab? And he says, you can go, you can live till you're a hundred years old. You will never be told you have to believe anything. You can be atheist. You can do whatever you want. Just keep coming back. And it was exactly what I needed to hear, because I've I've heard other people tell newcomers, oh, keep coming, you'll get it. If somebody said that to me, I I was so paranoid at that point, I would have run out the door just quick because that's it, the cult is going to get me, you know? But the fact that he said, you don't have to believe anything you don't want, nobody's going to make you believe, it's, you will make up your own definition of a higher power, and it doesn't have to be you know, the guy with the white hair on the top of the Sistine Chapel, it can be whatever you want it to be, and because he took the pressure off, I was able to crack that door a little and just be able to start considering it. You know, I had no idea. It, it's so funny, in my early years in program, I had, to, I had to figure out, well, what is my concept of a higher power? Because it was very important that I have that. And it's like, you know what? I don't have to have that now. God's doing just fine without me and, and doesn't need me to define or whatever. And um, the other thing I was told really early on, is says, the only thing I understand about God is you're not it. You know, and I—I I really needed to hear that. Not that I psychotically, you know, heard voices and thought I was God, but I took so much responsibility for things I didn't have to. You know, you know, if—if—you if, uh, know—I was in a room with something across the doorway, and somebody tripped. Oh, I should—I should have gone down done something about. It. No, you know what? I got to take care of myself and 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 uh, do my best, and it's fine. There are there's a higher power, and it's not me. And it's the same with my sponsees now, and and things like that. You know, if people. You know, if I'm a sponsor and, and they get abstinent, and I don't get to take the credit, and if they go out, I don't have to take the blame. And, you know, I just, you know, here for experience, strength, and hope. I ended up going out and slipping in, in that program, and, and oh, I had, then I came into the AA, and then I started drastically losing the weight again, you know, and then I, I slipped because I'm trying to give up all my things at once, and I, I drink again, and then I'm drinking and eating, and I finally come back, and, and hopefully will be my last time in that, you know, my last first day. And uh, I said to the guy who became my next sponsor, look, I, I really need to... By then I'd heard about OA. You know, you come into one program, you start hearing about them all. Okay, there's this, this, you know. What's that? If you're not in three programs, you're in denial. Uh, so no. it's, it's true. Dad, um, I said, okay, I know I need to go to OA. As soon, as soon as I heard about OA, I go, well, that's it. That, it made all the sense in the world. I, you know, I was addicted to food at the earliest age I can remember. And he, you know, in AA, they, they're like, oh, no, you're getting sober right now. Don't worry, here, have a piece of candy, here, you know. And, and I go, no, you don't know, with me, this is different. I, uh, these things are like this, and i got to do something about them. And he says, okay, fine, no, I told you what I want you to do. If you want to, whatever you want to do in your spare time, as long as you can make my things, I don't care, you know. So I said, that's a deal. And I, and I, started, I started going away. And um, it's funny, I, I realized while I was sitting here before the meeting started that I forgot to bring my pictures up, but. I have a picture from my first year in OA, and I was uh, uh, deathly skinny. <laughs> and that's the funny part about it, is that I I came in OA, I was like 26 years old, so I had like the metabolism of a hummingbird, you know, I, I'd kill for that metabolism now. Um, you know, just stopped eating, uh, you know, went on a, you know, at that time, the gray sheet had gone away, but there still was the, the old dignity of choice, and I just picked one of the things, that I'm following it just like any other diet, and I'm doing it, blah, 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 and I lose weight, and the reason I I, I also checked the anorexic there is because the one time in my life I was anorexic was when I first came into OA because I had a number in my head. Okay, if I get to this number, that's my goal weight, right? I get to that goal weight and nothing's changed. You know, I am still can't talk to women. I still have no self-esteem. I still have no... You know, I don't like myself, and, and so I get this break, Well, it must be in the wrong number. It must be another five pounds, and I lose another five pounds, and nope, the women are still not grasping at my ankles as I as I walk along. You know, I don't know what I thought. You know, it's one of those weird things. It's like you have these weird, bizarre ideas of what it, it, it it's supposed to be. You know, I, I was saying that the, the, uh, last time I sp- I think it was when I spoke a kitchen sink last. Night, I. I in my first couple of years in program, I, I would, I, you know, you, you know, if you're a smart person, you, you pick up the lingo really quick, and you begin to listen to people. And so I was all of a sudden like I was the, I was instant old timer, you know. Yes, yes. And I was, I was like that. Remember that that commercial? Well, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I was like, well, I'm not an old timer, but I play one at meetings, you know. And I would, I would do that. And the great thing about where I live here now is I see. The people who I respect, who are doing, it. they're not doing the woo woo. Everything's okay. You know, they're not. They're not. I used to call it the sponsortron five thousand. They're not just when everything happens. Oh, it's you know, write on it. Think about that. I mean, they were living their lives and they have problems and they and they work through them. And they're humans, you know. And that's the thing I didn't get. I had this idea that someday I would just hit this nirvana place where. Nothing would ever bother me and and everything. And and what I know now, and it's really good to be here to see other people who I respect say, you know, geez, I I lost it on my life yesterday. You know, I just, you know, I I feel like a jerk. I immediately apologize, but, you know, whatever. That kind of thing, that they're human. And that was the hardest thing to get in the beginning. A couple of months in the program, my sponsor went out. And, you know, I don't need a sponsor in no way because I'm in the mothership over there in the other program. I'll just, I'll just, and, you know... You know what you get when you do that, you know. <laughs> i had an idiot for a sponsor, uh, me. And it, I, I just look back and go, God, I was just nuts. Because, you know, I mean, I, I, I speak for reasonably well... But I could speak reasonably well at a year, and I was totally batshit crazy, you know. So they were asking me to, to speak at marathons, and I'm like, I, I, I still think, oh, God, I've got to find those people someday. <laughs> apologize for whatever the hell I said, you know. Because that's the other thing. Is I couldn't understand. Why, why is it so hard for everybody? You just come in, you stop eating, you follow a food plan, and that's it, you know. And, uh, you know, <laughs> there's just hubris waiting for a big dose of reality to smack you in the face, and, and it did eventually.
1: I eventually, you know,
0: I had been working in a magazine. I, I started doing this comedy thing, and then all of a sudden, I had no time for meetings. And the wonderful thing about this disease, it's real patient. It says, "Okay, you take all the time you need." <laughs> and so, uh, I probably went the better side of a year because I knew, you, you know, it's I had the exact same story. If you read Bill's story in the big book, he talks about, you know. He couldn't understand it. it was a baffling thing. And then he got it. Oh yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I can't drink anymore, and he went and drank anyway. Well, that was exactly the same thing. I came and said, so, I can't do this. I'm a compulsive eater. I have to follow a food plan. If I have to do this, and it didn't matter because at, at at a certain point, you know, I, I still remember it was like a Dangerfields on a, on a like a, a weekday night at the end of the show. Come on, we're all going out to Wu Hops in Chinatown. Oh, okay, great. You know, and within a couple of days, man, I you know I lived in Connecticut and I went back and forth to the city and I joked after a while, my car, I nicknamed my car Meals on Wheels because, you know, when, when I was drinking, if I made a hard turn, you could hear the clink of bottles under there. Well, after a while, it was just a rustle of cellophane, you know, because I was, <laughs> and I was off to the races again and then I, I, I went on the slipping and sliding and slipping and sliding and I remember, you talk about that that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I'm a smart person. I don't get it. You know, why? Why? Um, and I remember finally, after, I don't know, it was better side of a year of me slipping inside and sliding, going, I don't get this. I'm doing exactly what I did the first time. Why isn't it working? And every once in a while, a little thought comes into my head that's so foreign, I've got to believe it's not for me. And the thought was, well, maybe you didn't do it right the first time. And it was like, oh, <laughs> you know. And it dawned on me years later when I look back and I, and I talk about how every one of those diets worked for me once. Well, I had the classic OA story. My first time in OA was just like another one of those diets. I came in, I said, "Tell me what to do. I'm going to do it." And then the second time, I'm letting my sick brain take over, you know. And uh, uh, and again, I don't want to have a sponsor, and I'll I'll take care of this myself. And you know, there's a wonderful lady named Marcy in program who says you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain. It's it's really true. You know, it's it's I, and I finally went to somebody and said I need some help. You know, and because I remember saying, well, what did I do in my other program? And what well, I remember, what I thought, I I just was willing to do anything. You know, if they told me go out and wear wear a dress and stand in the middle of the of the street and it'll get keep you sober i'd have done it you know I really would have, and that 's what I was not i wanted to I wanted to bargain you know the cafeteria plan of OA. I want to pick and choose the things i want i want to do you know, and it didn 't work so i um I started doing better uh i i ended up uh, i did well for a while I got married uh we eventually moved out here to uh uh become a big shot t v writers and actor actress and um after I got out here a while, I started really slipping and sliding again. And then, you know, by this time, I'm 15 years in program. And again, it's that not getting the disease. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a sponsor. I, am spon- uh, I have a sponsor. I'm, I'm, I remember I was the secretary of the artist and abstinence meeting. And I'm I'm delegate. I'm doing all these things. And yet I'm leaving the meeting that I'm secretary of and stopping at the donut shop on the way home and then getting, driving off. And and I remember going, why am I doing this? You know, it's not like I'm sentenced to OA, you know. It's not like in, or in the other program, you can get sentenced sometimes to to show up. (laughs) I don't have to be here. Why am I doing this? And I, part of it was I could not get the disease. I couldn't understand how the disease worked. I would say disease, I would say powerless. Oh, yeah, I'm powerless, I'm powerless. Oh, yes, I'm, you know, every meeting, oh, yes, I'm powerless for food. I've said it for 15 years, and then I go eat. And then I'd come back, I'm oh, I'm powerless, I swear I'm powerless, powerless foul You know. And um, what happened was I, w- I would have this sine wave where I would get abstinent, for, I'd be abstinent, and then I'd start thinking about going out. And I'd think about going out, thinking about going out, then I would go out. Then I'd start eating, and then I'd start eating, and then I'd, i got to get back, got to get back, got to get back. Then I would get abstinent again. Then i got to lose the weight, i just gained. I've got to lose all the weight, i got to, you know. And, and just about the time I got back up to the level where it got quiet again, i started all over again. And what I couldn't see was this was my way of dealing with something else that, that I didn't want to deal with because the food got wheeled in front of me this big, like, screen that kept me from seeing what the real thing was, you know. So anyway, I ended up going to the program for a while that had a very definite food plan because I just was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I also went and got a therapist because I knew I'm going to give this stuff up. I'm going to hang in no matter what. And I knew the shit was going to hit the fan. I didn't know what it was, but I knew. And so I I was rigorously abstinent. I did another fourth step. I'm doing all this stuff. And what all of a sudden came up one day in therapy is I'm in a marriage I don't want to be in. This is what it's all about. It had nothing to do with the food But I wanted to make it about the food because I'm a people pleaser. And if somebody, you know, if I have to tell somebody who really loves me, I really don't love you and I don't want to be in this anymore. I mean, I'd rather, you know, just eat razor blades or something, you know. But that's what it was about. And as long as I could make it about the food, I didn't have to think about what my real problems are. And today I see that, you know, and I have sponsees and, and various things that... It's very rarely. I mean, it's about the food when it's when you're in the food, but but it's rarely really about the food. I see with a lot of women, it's it's sexuality issues and things like that, intimacy issues. But for me, it was that. So anyway, the other thing that happened, I was in two different ways, <laughs> and what I mean by that was. The first OA I was in was the hip slick and cool OA, like when I, before I went to that other program, where we would, we would go to meetings, we'd call each other on the phone, we'd go out after meetings, we were all in a fellowship and calling each other and all this stuff. And then there was this other group that we used to make fun of. These were the guys who would get up and talk about that big book at every meeting. And the 12 and 12 and all this. And we would sit around making fun of them, you know? And, uh, you know, know, these old farts and all this stuff. Anyway, I went to that other program for a number of years and then I ended up coming back here and when I came back, all those hip, slick, and cool kids, you know who's left? The old farts who are reading the big book and doing the 12 and 12 and doing all the shit that I wanted to laugh at because I didn't get it, you know? And, It's like the longer I'm around, the more I realize there's, you know, anything I say here is just, uh, you know, it's, you know, a regurgitation of what's in the big book just said in a different way, you know, Um, and and to realize, I mean, how cunning and baffling and powerful this disease is, and, you know, I mean, one of the things I, you know, I segued out of comedy after a number of years, and, 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 and I took... The wonderful gifts of being a child of a alcoholic, which are, I became a wonderful analyst of not not psychology analyst, but a an, uh, systems analyst, who I could go in and see what needed to be changed. This is a perfect job, by the way. This is like a perfect analyst job. i going to go in and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. Um, but I'm really good at it. But one of the things I would, it, it just frustrated me. I couldn't understand this disease. I couldn't understand you know i can I can quantify and understand a lot of things, and this disease was the one that i couldn 't understand for a long time and part of it is you know that whole couldn 't fix a broken brain with a broken brain and even now, knowledge of my disease alone won't cure me i it 's nice to figure out some of these things, but they 're not going to keep the food out of my mouth. You know some of the stuff still comes down to don't eat <laughs> i mean it sounds it sounds stupidly simple, but at the exact time when i 'm going through something, I want to make it so convoluted so I don't have to deal with the real thing, which is don't eat, because that's my disease at work. And one of the things I always like to pitch is is I, I always say, this is hard. <laughs> I mean, it's not hard day in and day out, and certainly the more time you have, the less hard it is. But I, I, just for newcomers, it, it, it would have helped me when I first came in to hear somebody say that, that, you know, I've got 29 years in another program, and yes, it took me a good year to get sober. But it was infinitely, it was a lot easier to get sober than it was to get abstinent. But it's infinitely easier to stay sober than it was to stay abstinent because I don't have to be around alcohol. I don't have to be near it. And it just doesn't call to me. I mean, I was a comic and for 15 years I had people standing there at the end of a show with a drink in their hand right under my nose telling me a really bad long joke. Um, And it never made me want a drink. But... I've had days where I wasn't in a fit spiritual condition where I wanted to go to the refrigerator and you know start at the upper left and end at the lower right, you know, because it is there constantly. And you know the other thing I remember hearing somebody say from the other program is the thing about the other program is if I slip, I know it. <laughs> you know, there's no there's no accident or bust if you pick up a drink, but it's so hard here because we we have you know, we have to figure out what, what works for us. And when I first came in, I had all the answers, and now I don't, because it's like, I realize what works for me doesn't work for you, and I there's certain things I can eat that you can't, and vice versa, but I need help. I can't make these decisions on my own. I this is an independent study program. And the other thing is, is that this is hard because it's so societally accepted, you know? You know, you don't see a lot of commercials for, yes, yeah, go out and drink as much as you can, but you'll watch these commercials. And, and I always thought, God, if I had a daughter how do I explain to a daughter all these commercials, and then they come out of the commercial to these size zero actresses? <laughs> that would just probably warp, you know, their brains. And and the other, you know, it's it's societally acceptable. It's much more around all the time. And, and, and it's just, it's something we have to do. And to find a way to do this, and and to make it... My mother passed away a couple of years ago, but she hadn't drank for 30 years, but she had... A, she had a, quote, sobriety I wouldn't ever have wanted. She was just miserable, you know, just not a fun person to be around. But she didn't drink because she got far enough away from it. But I don't think we're given that that gift. You know, we have to work at this constantly. The other thing is that, you know, say what you want about alcoholism, drug addiction, and all these other gnarly things. They slam your face down into the pavement. And they pick up your bloody face and go, okay, do you get it? You're powerless and unless you're absolutely nuts, you you eventually, there's a crack, and you go, yeah, I really have, I'm not making these choices anymore. Long ago, stopped being my choice. Uh, But food, especially if you're intelligent, and this is one of my problems, I could keep moving the goalposts. You know, you keep saying, okay, well, if I ever get to this weight, or or you look only from here up in the mirror, and uh, you constantly accept things that were previously unacceptable, you know, and, Mm I had a, I, I, I talk about this how in the other programs sometimes I'll, I'll get kidded about OA and I'll tell people, you know, I buried two sponsees in OA. I've never buried any in the AA. And one of the guys who died, he, uh, he died in a fire. He was heavy. He was 600 pounds and he died in a fire. And it was one of those things. When I had my idea how I was going to die, it would be a heart attack, a stroke, or whatever, but not that. And the thing about Jim is he and I were exactly the same. I mean, he had that, that sharp brain, that, you know, smart-ass attitude like I got, and all these things, and I said, Jim, the only difference between you and me is I got the gift of alcoholism. I got, I understood through that what I had to do, and if I hadn't had that, I'd have been Jim. I would never have gotten this program, because, you you, could, you know, this, the analogy is, is you know, the frog analogy, for so those that have never heard it. the you can take a live frog and you bring it toward a pot of boiling water and it's a, it's a smart enough animal to know this is not where it wants to be and it you know, will struggle to get away, but you can take that same frog and put it in a pan of room temperature water and then turn on the heat slowly and bring it up. That frog will never jump out. It will die in that pan. And to me, that's the perfect analogy of this disease. It's just, it makes you uncomfortable enough to know there's something you should do about it but it doesn't make you uncomfortable enough to finally do it. You have to, at some point, almost all of us have to pull that bottom up to wherever we are today and say, I got it, I just have to, you know, ask for help. You know, because to me that was the hardest thing. I wanted to come in, I'll buy all these things, I want to go home, and leave me alone. I don't want to be accountable, I don't want to have a sponsor because then I've got to, you know, talk about my food and my feel God forbid, my feelings and stuff like that. And, um, The last few years have been really wonderful as a result of this. I mean, I get through things today. I mean, uh, you know, I have hardly any family left. My brother is essentially the last family I have. And a couple of years ago, he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I'm the only one, and we're sitting there making plans for his funeral and, you know, all that fun stuff. Well, as it turns out, uh, he was misdiagnosed, uh, as it turns out now. But... I got through that, and I know I would have been a wreck. I would have been in the food, uh, you know, if I hadn't worked this program and and had people around me and talked to you know my sponsor and things like that, because uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I, I got married again. Uh, I ended up getting that divorce, that horrible thing that I couldn't imagine how I was going to do. We got divorced. It was painful. We're absolutely great friends now she got remarried got, the idea you know part of this was my ego, oh my God, how could she possibly live without me? you know and <laughs> she did just fine. she got married a wonderful guy who uh, she actually's up in the valley she's in program now uh, she wasn't when I married um, and they're both very happy, and I'm really happy because I found the person I was meant to be with but uh and and I joke my I, with my wife that um you know, I uh, my wife got John 3.0. You know, because my poor first wife got John 1.0, which was trust me, that was a beta version. And um, and uh, in between, I had a sort of a long term girlfriend. She got John 2.0, and luckily my wife's got 3.0, which is way better. It's, but you know, this is still the John 4.0 in in the works because you know you never get better. And and one of the things that happens is you keep trying to work this. You know, I mean, I've done a number of fourth steps, and I continue to do. You know. I think the 10th step's the thing I I do the most, you know, I really get that. The other thing that was really an important thing, and it took me years to get, and I remember an old-timer saying it to me when I first came in and I didn't get it, she she said the 6th and 7th ones are the ones you're going to find are are the ones that are going to really make some change, you know. And the part about humility, you know, and not humility from a Gandhi standpoint or anything like that, an old, old-timer old said once, the, the, only, the only thing about humility is it gives you an objective view of your place in the world. You know, you're not at the top, you're not at the bottom, you're just another bozo on the bus, you know? And, for many years, I couldn't get that because I'm, I'm this really intelligent person and I'm terminally special and you don't understand. And, so, the thing about being an intelligent person, is, I heard somebody say once, an intelligent person can learn from their mistakes, but a person who's got wisdom learns from other people's mistakes. <laughs> and, if you told me, "Oh, don't touch that stove; it's really hot," I would have to go. Oh, yes, you're right, but I have to do that. I have to burn myself, and because I'm different, and I'm special. And the thing is, now I get—I'm just another bozo on the bus. And the other thing is, I'm human, you know. I, yeah, I—I I don't know how many times I say to my "God, I hate being human." Some days, you know, because I get it now, you know. One of, for those of you who are reasonably knew, there's a, a, a paragraph in the big book called the acceptance paragraph. It's on page 417, and it talks about learning to accept everything. The paragraph after it is, in fact, from that paragraph to the end of the chapter is really uh, a way to live, day to day. But the paragraph after it says, "There's a bit of good in the bad. Uh, in the, uh, there's a bit of good in the worst of us. A bit of bad in the uh, you know best of us. We're all God's children. We all have a right to be here." When I criticize. Uh, when I criticize someone, I'm criticized. Uh, when I criticize you or me, I'm criticizing God's handiwork. And I remember thinking, "Oh, that's the parable for me to understand why I'm judgmental and I need to not do that." But I, I knew that paragraph for years, but I always didn't hear the "I" part. You know, when or me. When I criticize you or me, when I'm criticizing myself. I'm criticizing God's handiwork, you know, and and I don't like that I make mistakes, but now I can, I can accept that, you know, I had, to, you know, here I was making people laugh every night, I had no sense of humor about myself, you know, if, if I tripped, I had to look around to see who saw me do that, because God forbid I tripped, you know, if I made a mistake, I was, uh, I was mortified, you know, because I'm not supposed to do that, I don't know how much of that is ego or whatever. And, and it's like the longer I'm around, the more I get. The, the, this disease has so many tentacles that are uh, that you know. The two main things, other than obviously the turning to the food, for me are immaturity and narcissism. You know, you know. In the other program, they talk about the, the alcoholic personality. To me, it's, it's immature personality. You know, and what is the most immature thing in the world? I want eat. to eat what I want as much as I want and not gain any weight, right? well that was me right And but all the other things that were just I was uh, walking around as a 13 year old you know or 12 year old maturity wise there's a um in More About Alcoholism, it says it's the great desire of every compulsive eater for, you know, to someday eat like normal people. Well, I had a you who laughed and said, no, we don't. We don't want to eat like normal people. Normal people take a slice of something we really like and eat a little bit and go, oh, that's too rich. <laughs> what we want is we want to eat the way we want to eat and have absolutely no ramifications. Well, that, you know, it. I was so immature. And then narcissism is the other part, you know all about me you know if a guy cuts me off on the freeway it's all he did it deliberately to me it's not like he's you know he's just zoning out and talking on the phone and I took on so many things because I personalized so many things and the longer I'm around I realize you know it's not it's very rarely about me you know it's uh there's a great quote about you know if if the thing that would upset me the most about what people think about me are are how little they think about me at all and it's true I would much rather you know (laughs) do any of that stuff and just as a day at a time, I mean, I get that. It, but part of this genius of this program is it it, make, it tells you to do things, and then later you realize why you did them. Like like getting out of yourself, do service, do all this. Then when you're done, you go, "Oh, I get it." And and, and the other thing and I'll wrap up on, on sponsorship is I always say the stupidest things anybody in the world ever told me were told to me by sponsors, <laughs> but they were stupid at that exact moment. And then I would hang up the phone, but I got I learned you know, bitch and moan, but do it anyway. And I would do it, and then later, I would go, that's exactly what I had to do. But if I had let that broken brain filter and make the decisions, I'd have never done it. So, if I could, you know, put a pitch in for anything, it's it's, uh, keep on the meetings, try and follow direction for a while, you know, and let the broken brain take a break and let somebody else help you with it. Thanks.